from FingerLakes1.com. Welcome to another Sunday Conversation. I'm Josh Durso, and today we're joined by Mark and Kevin Henderson. Mark serves as Chief of Police in Brighton, New York, and Kevin was elected Sheriff this past fall in Ontario County. Uh, if you couldn't tell, they're brothers. And uh, we're really happy to have both of them here. Guys, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having us, Josh. Thanks, Josh. So, uh, obviously, uh, our audience is familiar with uh, the Sheriff. Uh, let's start with you, Chief. Uh, how, how did you... Uh, break into law enforcement, or, or how did that? Uh, how'd your journey start? So, uh, and I'm sure Kevin will talk about it. Uh, we inherited the law enforcement gene from our, our father and our, our grandfather. Um, third generation law enforcement. Uh, back in 1985, uh, it was uh, in my senior year uh, at uh, University of Albany, and I was afforded an opportunity. At the time, I was working in the, the state assembly and. We had to go back to the district. It was a constituent aid, and that was just a fancy term for go find out what the opinion of the sheriff and the uh, then Chief McCarthy from Canandaigua Police Department. Back in 1985, uh, there was no authority to run uh, speed limits on a lake, so there was some proposed legislation. Sheriff Stewart at the time was in, in favor of, and currently the law is now that the state has allowed uh, uh, speed uh, limits on, on the lake, so I came back. Uh, and uh, then Sheriff Stewart uh, mentioned that my name was on a civil service list. Same thing with uh, Chief McCarthy, would I be interested? And Chief McCarthy put in a, he mentioned a clause that if I were to step away from school and, and, and come to the Canadaville Police Department, which I did, uh, the Canadaville Police Department would pay for that last semester. And then if I, the goal was to go into to law and become a lawyer and whatever, and uh, never achieved that goal. But uh, here I am, started with Canadaville PD in 1985, transferred and 1986 to the Brighton Police Department, and it's been law enforcement ever since. So I, I have to ask, when did you have that light bulb moment where you were like, I want to do this, and I don't want to pursue anything further in law. I want to, I want to police. This is what I want to do. So Kevin will talk about it. We, you know, we, growing up in the shadow of our father, um, it was pretty interesting. Uh, his rank was lieutenant, but uh, he had the status, uh, they call him zone commanders. And everything was about the, de the there were special details. And uh, remember one time playing in the backyard, and the state police helicopter lands. You know, my father and a group of troopers get out. My my mother makes some dinner. They get back in uh, the helicopter and go off. Uh, had the opportunity uh, to go to back then. It was a Sarah Coventry. It was the LPGA event and, and different things. Mm -hmm. And there was always a, a take-home police car in the driveway. And so well, maybe someday. But uh, that aha moment came when uh, you know, I started uh, the, the police academy, the law enforcement academy, and then it's you know I said I'll, I'll do a career, I'll do 20 years, and then do something else. Well, it's been almost 34, and I'm still doing the same thing. And uh, sheriff, obviously for you, it was obviously something that started pretty young too. We've talked about that before here. Um, but remind us a little bit about what your uh, move into law enforcement was like, and and when you similarly had that sort of uh, moment where you thought to yourself, yeah, this is this is what I want to do. Yeah, well, like my brother Mark said, you know, growing up in the household of not only our dad was a state trooper, but our mom actually worked for the sheriff's office. She was a civil uh, deputy in the civil division and worked as a clerical, but she held the title of civil deputy. And, and so, you know, Mark and I, uh, we, we every day uh, 
we're experiencing something that's, uh, I ironically say we're the blue bloods of Ontario County because with our father and our grandfather and even our mother in the, on, on the job. Um, and then I knew kind of early throughout uh, my life that I, I, I aspired to be at least a police officer. And then when mom uh, went in the sheriff's office in, I believe, 1974, um, we, you know, I started hanging out at the sheriff's office, and I wanted to be a deputy. Mm-hmm. And I uh, graduated from high school, went right into Finger Lakes Community College. And uh, my second year in college, I get a phone call from Sheriff Stewart, uh, asked me to come in, and he hired me part-time in 1984. And uh, I stayed with the county, and here I am today, 34 years later, and I'm the sheriff. So 30-some years later, when you guys look back to those first five maybe 10 years. Did you ever sort of envision a scenario where both of you would be leading uh, pretty significant uh, agencies here uh, in the Finger Lakes? No. Back back then I looked at, okay, the end goal was 20 years. Uh-huh. Uh, in law enforcement, uh, it, it, the Canada Police Department and, and then in Brighton, we had a, an option of retire, retirement at 20. And I started in, when I was 21 and I'm like, well, maybe at 41 I'll make that career change. And uh, I uh, got into uh, the, the policing aspect of it. Uh, I, I, I was blessed with the opportunities. There was a number of promotions I, I was able to, you know, uh, attain. And then one promotion led to another, and it was like, okay, maybe the maybe the goal is to run an organization. Never thought I would when I first did, but um, it, it was a, a great opportunity. It's been a great career. Uh, we were uh, talking about the different you know, administrative issues that we are confronted with now that are, aren't necessarily our day-to-day law enforcement issues. They're more you know, the, running the organizations, trying to help communities uh, with public safety and building, you know, keeping the trust going with the communities and the, the agencies. But uh, it's been really good. And, and I'm curious, obviously, uh, running a, a police department versus running a sheriff's office, um, the, the I'm imagining there's a lot of crossover in terms of management. You're managing personnel, you're managing people, public safety component. Um, what are some of the, the, the things that you guys have sort of noticed and as you're talking with each other about obviously your, your jobs and, and your days, um, what are some of the things that you've noticed that where there is a lot of crossover and maybe some where there, there might not be some of that overlap? Well, like Mark said, uh, personnel. Um, my agency is by far larger than his. I have over 300 employees. I have six different divisions. I have a jail where the police department does not. I'm responsible for a jail, and I can house up to 291 inmates. I'm responsible for a civil division, which we do uh, garnishes and uh, liquid or legal. I'm sorry, legal services of different uh, levels of papers. Um, but again, I'm I'm lucky because I have Mark. I've called him a number of times already since I've taken office, because uh, being a leader, it's a unique person, and you have to have a style. And again, uh, some of the dynamics and laws are complex, so I'm lucky that I could call Mark, and uh, he helps me through it. So, and I have to ask about that. Is that having a, a sibling that you're close with? Uh, leading another agency is that sort of like having a cheat code to a game I mean it, it's almost like you have a second a second set of eyes and like a second brain to work off of um, if you're working through a problem or if you're sort of struggling with something is having that backup resource really uh, valuable and what you guys get to do so we uh, we've always been close for uh, 
18 months? 16 months. Okay. And you're the older brother? Or? <laughs> no, no, I'm the younger. So we've, we've always had that uh, opportunity, uh, you know, uh, to rely on each other and to, to talk to each other. You know, um, he mentioned the size of his agency and, and the number of employees. I certainly uh, don't run a jail, uh, but we uh, do interact. Our agencies interact with a commission that has oversight. We have a lockup, and uh, even though we don't have a jail, the, the rules that are applicable to the jails also apply to a local agencies. So um, having that relationship of, okay, this is what we experienced. Um, you know, in, uh, prior to becoming uh, sheriff, he, uh, Kevin was the elected coroner. And just have conversations. You know, at the height, you could see that there was some trending in the opioid crisis. You could see that things were not the way they were in the past. And, you know, I was uh, watching Kevin's approach and how he wor uh, worked with the community, worked with, uh, you know, the families, worked with uh, in, in uh, identifying uh, uh, victims. And, uh, you know, it, it took a while for people to look, you know, the person that's suffering addiction is a victim and dealing with a struggle. And Kevin was at the forefront of that. So now, you know, I, I'll, I'll yield. Uh, uh, we have. Uh, I have a friend that, that every time he sees uh, the sheriff on TV, notes it notices that he has four stars, and I only have two. <laughs> I will defer that to uh, to the sheriff's department. Um, but uh, it is good. I have uh, had some experience with uh, some of the administrative laws um, relative to uh, police officer storage. Um, I, I at one time uh, was the chair of the law enforcement council in Monroe County, uh, so I have that background. And then uh, I sit on. Uh, uh, the New York State Law Enforcement Accreditation Council, and, and we, we talk a, a lot about issues, a lot about policies, procedures, and then, you know, quite candidly, I'll call him, and he'll call me, and we'll have, it's a sounding board, you know, mm -hmm. um, we're just, you know, I became chief in 2010, uh, and entering my ninth year, and every, 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 every day, it's something new, um, but there are some repeated uh, patterns that uh, have occurred, and so, as Kevin was experiencing for the first time, I'm like, well, this is how I looked at it. And, you know, you certainly look at it the way you, 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 you want to approach your agency and run your department. But uh, it's, it's great having a, a contact. And to that end, uh, does it ever get difficult to unplug? And, and even going back to have your mother, your father, uh, your entire family is in law enforcement. Does it ever get difficult to sort of really unplug from work and to stop thinking about it, even though you both have jobs that are really demanding and you have to be thinking about it all the time? Does it ever make it a little more difficult to unplug and kind of get away for a second? Well, it's, you know, again, when we have functions, uh, you know, if we have a family party or barbecue, Mark likes to have the barbecue because he has in-ground pool, so we'll go to his house. <laughs> um, you know, but it, it's hard. Uh, he is chief, now I as sheriff. Our phones ring constantly. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, again, uh, we are this type, I think we're both in this type of a leader. We're not micromanagers, but we want to make sure that uh, what's happening, we're aware of it because ultimately both he and I have to answer to those that make those decisions. And if they're the wrong ones, then we're held accountable and uh, we'll stand up to that. Uh, but, you know, we, we do, uh, I, I, I could say, and Mark as well, um, my wife and I, we've been married, uh, let's see, we've been together just going on 35 years and it'll be our 31st uh, year for being married. And Mark, him, and Lori, or how many years? You're a little well, bit... Well, 1987, so if I'm doing the math, it's our 32nd year. Yeah, so... so. And I guess what I mean by that is, is our spouses have been very uh, tolerant and patient, and um, 
it, it, this career does pull you aside from your family on numerous times. Yeah. Uh, but do we do we ever get completely get away from it? Not really. It, it's yeah. difficult, but I think that's just the way we are because we we really do uh, want to make sure we do our best every day, and that's something that our father and even grandpa instilled in us. Mm-hmm. You know, our dad not only being a state trooper was a, a Marine Corps uh, World War II Marine Corps veteran. And, um, you know, Dad always said that, uh, you know, uh, when you, you go out there and do your job, you do it, you do it honestly, you, you give it your all and make sure you serve that the way you should be serving. So I think that's our style. So that's that gene that we have, right? So, <laughs> some people have an extra Y in chromosome. We have the blue gene. Um, you know, the other thing we have to look at is the, the impact of our profession on our children. You know, our, 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 I have two daughters. Uh, Kevin's got a, a son and a daughter, and they grew up with uh, you know parents that were in law enforcement. They understand the the totality of that. Um, you know, what we have with each other, the reliance to be able to go and, and, and talk about things that are going on. You know, just dif- different frustrations that we have. The same thing with our parents. You know, our our, our father. Uh, uh, would, would talk about different things. He had some monumental uh, situations in his career. He was uh, part of uh, the Attica uprising and, and part of the, the group that went back to, you know, there, there's a, a, an effort to retake the prison. He was part of that. So unfortunately, he never really talked to us about that growing up. Uh, but what he did do, uh, my, my uh, oldest daughter had an eighth grade project and he started to talk to her about what the different stations and it was kind of towards the end of his life I don't know you know what, what sparred this conversation so through that friend of Kevin's uh, videotaped him and captured okay. him and he, he talked about uh, you know here we grew up in the same household we always saw his uh, uh, um, awards and commendations from the military he never really knew much about it he, well, he was talking about it he was talking about uh, you know his service in Taipan and Simeon and never knew for the longest time what that meant. We were just on vacation down in New Orleans and went to the World War II Museum and Saipan was one of the, the you know, it was one of the bloodiest battles and and what that meant. And had I known that, I wish we would have had a conversation. And uh, But uh, we have it captured and memorialized on a DVD and, um, you know, gives us a perspective of where we're coming from and what it's all about. I, I, I think uh, it was... Uh, comment that he made when I, I made their ankle lieutenant you know well they like him up there and right and we're proud of him and you know he's sitting back in this campaign and one of the things I talked about with Kevin I know my parents are very proud of Kevin I know you know my father is beaming with pride and, and Kevin mentioned my mother my mother Mary and in our conversation when we were he was getting sworn in I talked about uh, how pr- proud she would be she used to run that aspect of the organization that she knew everybody else's business right and this was pre-HIPAA so we would have to kind of tell mom that you know what happens at the sheriff's office and everyone's ability you know she was really good about that and uh, at her funeral she she would call she called everybody honey and and I referenced and then Sheriff Pavro was in the the time so I like I said even you Sheriff Pavro you were honey you know you were filling honey and uh, but that's that's we are what we are because of our parents and does that sort of enable you guys to sit back a little bit from time to time and think about that legacy portion of this? Obviously, with 30-some years of experience each um, on top of what your father and grandfather and your mother's legacy is, does that really give you guys some, some headspace to be able to say, wow, this is, this is really impressive just in terms of, of duration and length of time serving 
the, the local communities that you guys now still call home. Yeah, it, it is. And uh, our grandfather, Grandpa, had 30, I think Grandpa had 34 years, and our father had 30. Uh, our, in the state police, uh, at 60, when you turn 60, you have to retire. They call it age out. Mm-hmm. Um, Dad did not want to leave, um, but uh, he obviously had to because of the age requirement for retirement. I remember the day that Dad called Mark and I in. We were both in high school. And uh, this was in the early, right before he had to retire, he was given the uh, opportunity to go up to the rank of captain, um, which is very good and high in the state police. But the caveat was that we had to move to Malone. And, And this is how Dad was. He said to me and Mark, what do you think? It's up to you guys. Well, he had an established, uh, obviously, friendship as much as I did in school. He yeah. was, I, we, you, I believe you were a junior at the time, yeah. and I was a sophomore. We had our girlfriends. We both played sports. We played football together. We played lacrosse together. Um, he was on one side of, we were both long sticks. So he was on one side, and I was on the other side of the field. Um, and, and, and we both said, Dad, we'd rather not. We want to stay. And our dad willingly said, okay. And he gave up the rank of captain. And then uh, he, he could have stayed longer if he took that rank. But he gave his career up for us. And that's something I think Mark and I obviously will always respect and remember. We appreciate it more now, understanding what, it's, what yeah. it was all about. He, did, he put family before career. And uh, it was interesting. He... Uh, his last year in service was, I remember it like it was yesterday, 1979. He had a, a retirement party and the different people that came and heard the different stories. Yeah. And uh, since uh, you know, interacting, I interacted with a lot of uh, uh, members of the state police that knew him at the time. And now, you know, you've, there's a lot of young troopers and young commanders. But, uh, yeah, to sit back and say that, you know, he would have had that opportunity. And once you turn down a promotion, you're done. And yeah. that, that's what happened with his career. And he, uh, I think he did well in, in post-retirement. He uh, worked at the Finger Lakes Racetrack. Uh, couldn't completely get away from law enforcement. Uh, he tried his hand in the insurance business for a while. but uh, So he was the, uh, the guy that worked for racing and wagering, and they kept the races and the integrity of the races. I remember the time he was sick, and we had to pick him up. And there was an issue, and it was the first big uh, race-fixing scandal at Finger Lakes while he was in the hospital. And the first thing he said is, bring me to the track. Well, you're going home. He goes, you're bringing me to the racetrack. And he would start talking to his, uh, you know, everyone's got people that they, you connect with and whether you call them confidential informant or whatever. And yeah. that's what he did right up to the end. So it was pretty interesting. And and now as, as you guys look back on your own uh, 30 years, what are, what are some of the things that um, have changed or stand out to you guys as big changes? Obviously, you mentioned the opioid epidemic uh, a little while ago. Um, but in general, in terms of policing, what are some of the, the, the big changes that stand out to you guys across your careers? Well, I'll, I'll let Kevin go first, and then I'll give you my thoughts on what, where I okay. see this going. Well, I, again, now being the sheriff, uh, I think some of the changes are, are, are what we're now having to deal with uh, that's coming out of Albany. Uh, like with me in my jail division, bail reform, um, that's going to have a, an impact on how we treat these inmates and who comes through our facility. Uh, we, we, again, the, the mugshot uh, law that has been implemented. Uh, my stance is, and as well as the majority of the other sheriffs within the state, we're going to continue to release the mugshots. We feel as sheriffs it's important for transparency. 
that the public understands that if somebody gets arrested for a, for a charge that we will post it and uh, people will say, well, why? Well, because when we do, that might give us an opportunity for other victims to come forward. They might see that person or been fearful to say anything until they see now, okay, they're held accountable. So I think some of the new laws, uh, again, uh, what I see is uh, with our younger generation, as we go out and seek qualified employees, um, the challenge is when we sit and do the initial interviews, do you realize this is a Monday, or this is not a Monday through Friday job. This is a 24-7, 365 days. You're going to work holidays, weekends. You're going to miss these functions. And some will t tell you right out, well, I don't want to do that. It's that level of, uh, well, I didn't realize that's how it is. Um, so those are some of the changes I see. I'm you know, sure Mark, being a chief for a lot longer, has some other opinions. So the profession, as, as I knew it that when it started in 1985 and then when I was a student at criminal justice in the 1980s, okay, everything's changing now. And you know, the sheriff has the opportunity to come from a position of a political office. He speaks for himself. He speaks for the agency. Um, it's kind of unique. Uh, you know, when I look at issues, um, I am uh, a civil service uh, uh, chief. I was appointed through the, the competitive process. And uh, uh, I look back in, in, in the platform that a sheriff can come from, you know, relative to the jail. I don't run a jail and, and the jail reforms. And they use the word reforms. I would, I would probably say use the term change, changing the way that you do business. Uh, the release of public information, transparency, um, I, I you know, I understand the unintended consequence. Somebody gets arrested, they're presumed innocent, and then if, if they were to uh, prevail and, and be found not guilty, their mugshot is out there. And, and you can't, you're, this is on the internet, right? Yeah. It's it'll be out there in perpetuity. You can't bring it back. So uh, I, I think uh, what, what happened uh, in, in, in Albany as these uh, social reforms were, were put forward, I don't think they thought them through. And, you know, it sounds great. Uh, well, we're, gonna dis we're not going to release uh, mug shots, and the sheriffs are going to take a position. You got a, 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 a legal opinion from uh, the Sheriff's Association. We got a, a legal opinion from the Chief's Association that basically said you can continue to do business the way you're doing business because the law, as it was written, specifically prohibits the state police. But it gives you this wide discretion. And, and that opinion occurred on a Friday. Well, on a Saturday in the town of Brighton, we had an individual that was going backyard to backyard, a parolee that ultimately tried to get into a home but didn't. It's still a bicycle. So um, at uh, 3 o'clock on a two, uh, Saturday afternoon, the day after we got that opinion, I had to make a decision as to whether I was going to release a mugshot. We arrested for criminal possession of stolen property, which was a misdemeanor. And I made a determination in the it would be in the best interest of public safety to get that picture out there to see if there were additional victims that said, hey, I saw this individual. I, it, we, we got that information back that this person was seen in an, a, another neighborhood two days prior. So there is merit and value to releasing a, a photograph. There's also, you know, that unintended consequence that if there is, a, uh, you know, the person is found not guilty, how do you, how do you pull back that picture? And then there are some media outlets that kind of exploit those pictures and use comments and mm -hmm. so I understand that there's a, a topic of bail reform 
Mm-hmm. That concerns me. Uh, you know, it's it's not it's not law yet. Uh, right now, um, if somebody's uh, arrested, you know, coming back to to court is one of the aspects of bail. But the other other thing too is you got to look at the uh, uh, type of crime that it occurred. The, the individual that was committing the crime is there a likelihood that if they go right back to the community, they're going to commit more crime? Mm-hmm. Are they going to come back? You know, uh, Kevin and I were talking about uh, a part of his unit that has to go out in some cases across the country to bring somebody back to jail that didn't show up. That could have all been prevented. You know, maybe we can change the way that the trial process happens in New York. Mm-hmm. So there's bail reform coming. Um, I also had heard from the District Attorneys Association that a lot of things um, that are uh, that the DA's office can keep early on away from the defense, uh, that's changed and, and, and it's called discovery and you almost immediately now have to give it, uh, give it over to the defense side. What about witness statements? Mm-hmm. What about victims? And, and I think uh, at least in, in Monroe County uh, District Attorney Dorley talks about how do we, what, you know, if somebody wants to come forward and give the police information, and, and a lot of times it's in cases involving a homicide or multiple homicides, the, the the person that you've charged with that murder now has access to all that information, including phone numbers. Could that change the willingness of people in the future to move move forward? So mm-hmm. I think what happened this year, yes, in my ninth year, some things have changed, but not to the level that have changed so quickly. And it was mm-hmm. do, done, again, I am not a, in a political position, but it was done in a, a process that tied it to the budget so it could right. be done quickly with less public debate. And I think, you know, had we had an opportunity, the chiefs, the sheriffs, uh, the district attorneys, any, anybody that looks at this and says, okay, we're not saying that you can't change the way that we've done business, but let's, can we go slowly about this and let's look and try to identify those possible consequences of the change. And obviously, Sheriff, running a jail, bail reform is close to home for you. Um, walk us through your thought process in terms of, of what you've seen come through this particular uh, most recent legislative process and what some of your concerns are. Well, and a, and a lot of people are under the mindset, well, now we have this bail reform, we're not going to have, have as many inmates. Our population is down, historically low for our facility. Mm-hmm. Um, three years ago, we were averaging about 245 inmates. Um, our count this week, I just got the count this morning, we're at 143. So we're down, you know, our numbers are significantly lower. But those uh, inmates that are currently in our facilities are very high-need inmates. Mental health issues, um, uh, their substance abuse issues, uh, their their repeat offenders that will never mainstream into society. Uh, but with bail reform, uh, people think, well, we're going to not have these inmates. That's not true. Our concern is uh, what we're looking at is all law enforcement and sheriffs as well, chiefs and sheriffs and state police is, um, what we're able to do now is if we feel that this person, he or she, is a threat or at least should be heard in front of a judge, we have the ability to do that. Bail reform stating that we're very limited on how we can bring uh, those to in front of a judge. And our concerns with that is it's kind of a ripple effect. Uh, if, if we have to give an appearance ticket under, under the proposed legislation, probability is a majority of these folks even felons that are going to be charged with a felony, E or D felony, do not go to see a judge. They'll have to get an appearance ticket under this reform and uh, the probability of them not coming back to answer the charges. So now I have a warrant division of three deputies, and that's all they do. 
I already have told my board that we're probably going to have to realign and add deputies because what we're going to be doing is going out and seeking those under warrants to come back uh, in answer to the charge. So I think that's going to be a big concern of, of, of us. Um, will it have a direct impact on, on my uh, overall staffing? I don't believe so because, again, the inmates that we currently have, they're, they're, they're very demanding in need. And it does, uh, we're, we're, again, we're dictated on the Commission of Corrections. They're the governing body in Albany that tells us how we have to run our jail. Um, if we have an inmate currently that is suicidal, they go on a, what we call a one-to-one -one watch. We have one correction officer has to sit there and physically watch them 24 hours a day. Let's say we have five on suicide. Well, watch. Unfortunately, due to their behavior, they can't be housed together. So they each have to, we have a medical wing. Each are independently housed. Each one has to have a CO assigned to them, a corrections officer. So that really drives the staffing. And it's not going to, I don't think it's going to uh, decline. I think we're actually probably going to see more staffing needs. It is and it's interesting you say that because that's that been my curiosity throughout these debates. Um, when you talk about something that in it, uh, some would say is just going to reduce the amount of work, like marijuana legalization as an example, reduce the amount of work law enforcement would have to do, um, it actually seems like you're just having to shuffle resources around. Is, is that the experience? Is that what you guys are kind of seeing when with some of these reforms, changes? All you got to do is look to Colorado. Right, the panacea, the, uh, the the answer, the cure all was going to be legalized marijuana. Okay, the the, the black market, the, the crime associated with the black market is going to go away, and you know everything is going to you know uh, there'll be no crime. So let's take a look at the lessons learned from Colorado. So what happened? Number of fatal accidents, which we look at now on the level of you know from a DWI or in, in alcohol involvement. They're not, they're not. They're concerning, but they've leveled off, mm -hmm. and that's due to great enforcement efforts, education efforts, victim impact panels, what have you. And and again, we can't say that our work is done. It's it's a priority for for law enforcement. What Colorado is telling us is that the number of fatalities since legalization of marijuana has increased alarmingly. Increased the number of domestic violence calls and incidents have increased. And um, I, I'm sharing this data with uh, um, our elected officials in Brighton. Uh, the Monroe County uh, County Executive has also commissioned a, a group, and we, we talked about uh, this at, at the Monroe, uh, county level in Monroe County. It, it, it does not do, it does not eliminate, the, the legalization of marijuana does not eliminate a, a black market. And, you know, there's conversation in Albany right now, uh, I'm watching from afar, that talks about, well, if you tax it, you know, taxation, it'll be an infusion of cash, it'll, it'll, it'll cure the, the wills of, of the state. Um, well, what's the tipping point? If you tax it too much, the black market will prosper. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's a concern uh, about what do you do with all that cash? You know, and, and, and what I learned, in, and I asked this question to the U.S. Attorney, was uh, so one of the things that came out of Colorado, the number of armed robberies increased. Why? Because the marijuana there is a cash business. Because if you put the money in the bank, the bank, the money gets seized under the federal statute. So a lot of these businesses are doing cash and cash only. Well, yeah. victimization, criminology. Uh, you take a look at well, you know, where do people go? Why do they rob banks? Because there's cash there. Well, yeah. you know, you take a look at, at some of the violent crime activity in Colorado that has increased. So, and then the societal issues. You've got we talked about the opioid crisis. Uh, 
with a legalized product that, that we know has an addictive property, what happens there? And we're, they're looking at uh, um, uh, higher rates of uh, addiction, higher rates of opioid abuse, and I'm not, and I'm not going to get into the debate as to what about the gateway drug and whether right. it leads, one yeah. leads to another. I'm just looking at from a causality, what I think is a causality, uh, looking back. Surprisingly, the number of emergency room visits has also increased in Colorado, and they're drilling that down. They think that is because of the edible market because people are, are ingesting marijuana, not realizing the potential high where is when they smoke it, it's right away, and then having the synergistic effect and people, you know, uh, basically uh, experiencing delirium and seeking treatment from, from the, uh, the hospitals for that. So, again, these are issues. I think Albany got it right with slowing it down. The, the, the conversation, uh, you know, if, uh, is going ongoing. There's a not number of professions that have weighed in, and I'm, I'm glad that they slowed down the process. Personally, I think it's going to be legalized, and hopefully, they'll take all this into account. So, on one hand, you have marijuana legalization as as something being batted around, and then a recent proposal to uh, lower limit for DUI. Um, I'll let the sheriff answer. <laughs> please. I, I'm very curious about what it's, they seem to run contrary to one another, unless there's something that I'm missing. Um, walk us through what, what your mindset is as someone who's running a traffic division and having to um, negotiate those types of changes. Right. And again, you know, you compare, you know, my county to, to Mark's town. I mean, I'm just under 700 square miles. I have 16 towns, over 1,300 miles of highway. Um, I think you're, what, 14 square miles or something? Josh, is this where we bring up the point so. and talk about this little town of Brighton has 100,000 people in <laughs> but, it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> we always go back. And what, I, but what I'm getting at is, um, you know, our fatalities, uh, you know, again, Mark mentioned earlier, we were back in the 80s, it wasn't uncommon to have literally 30-plus fatalities a year. Yeah. Uh, we're down uh, now in our fatalities because I sit on the Traffic Safety Council uh, our, our fatalities are, are well, typically below eight, yeah. and maybe a few related to alcohol or substance abuse. Our concern, again, is going back to legalization of marijuana. And we, I stood with uh, many of my fellow sheriffs uh, recently at a press conference, and our message, as Mark is stating, is public safety. We all have our personal opinions, but our duty under the laws, we take the oath to protect and serve, is public safety. So if you, your question is, with the proposed future legislation of lowering the, the, the limit, um, uh, I, I think that the message that they're trying to do is we still realize that alcohol is causing, still causing fatalities. Well, let's continue, continue to lower the limit, and maybe we will go further uh, down on fatalities. Our concern is if the legalization of marijuana comes into play, there's a lot of unknown factors. Even for us as, as a chief and, and as a sheriff, uh, we have strict policies. So if one of my deputies off-duty, if it's legalized and we, uh, they, they choose to use that substance and then all of a sudden gets involved in an accident and I require a drug screen and they're positive, how do we handle that? Because the deputy could say, well, I was off-duty, Sheriff, two days ago, but we know marijuana stays in the system for a longer period of time versus alcohol. We know the chemistry behind alcohol. On average, you have a drink, it takes about an hour for that drink to leave your system. So we, we've, we've drilled that. How are we going to know the, the, this whole makeup of the chemical compound of the marijuana? Mm -hmm. uh, I, again, 
I, I think we're concerned strictly on a public safety. I truly feel that we're going to see an uptick in our uh, impaired driving accidents, be it serious injury or fatalities. And when's the public going to say enough's enough? Uh, you know, why are we doing this? Is it because of the potential revenue that the state is hoping that it'll bring in? I agree with Mark, I think, and we all think in law enforcement, it's going to drive crime because, as he indicated, uh, the marijuana, um, if it's easier for me to go in the black market to get marijuana so I don't have to pay tax, and I'm going to do that, but in order to do that, I'm going to go uh, maybe commit a robbery to get the money. It, it, it's just a ripple effect on both right. sides. So I'm interested, Chief, to get your, your uh, take on it because... Um, with the DUI, obviously, uh, the Ontario County Sheriff's Office does not patrol the thruway, but you guys have 490, 390. And so we have, a, we have an interesting agreement in uh, uh, you know, our, our town of Brighton uh, is I mentioned we were talking about 16 miles at a diagonal. Right. And you're right. If you come in from the east side, you're on 490. If you come in from our west side, you're on 390 and uh, 395 90 split so we have an agreement that we are not the primary law enforcement uh, response agency for those expressways um, the way that uh, the county uh, taxes are structured the sheriff's department handles primary calls on those expressways okay. and the state police so you look at this 0 0.05 proposal okay that's a quantitative number okay what what does it take and you know each each person's different and intolerance and all that so you can you can measure that through Quantitative testing, Alka sensor, breathalyzer. Mm -hmm. Can't do the same with marijuana. And, and that marijuana, and what I'm reading about the proposed legislation, the proposal came out of the New York City area, and there's a, a heavy reliance on, on public transportation. And I, I, I think we would all agree in law enforcement, we, we would it'd be great to have no fatalities. It'd be, be great to have no serious injuries due to impairment and impaired drivers. But as you bring, you drill down that BAC level, some would argue that it will uh, decrease and it'll further the law enforcement efforts. The gray area, the unknown area is how do you quantitatively measure marijuana? Is it THC? Is there a THC test out there so that if we suspect an impaired driver, um, we need to rely on experts and those experts are called drug recognition experts. Yeah. And it's, it's additional training, it's specialized training for our staff. There's a cost factor to that. These, these uh, specialized uh, officers and deputies are called upon not only to make the arrest, to make an opinion, have to appear in court. Is that where we're going as a profession? And, and if, if the answer is yes, okay, that's great. Give us the funding resources. Give us the additional staffing. Give us the tools to, to help us carry out. But you bring up a great point. What does that mean uh, moving forward? Mm -hmm. you know, I, I, it, when you have it figured out, give me a call. I'm not really sure. I think I know where it's going, but you know, our so, concern is public safety, as Kevin said. Uh, coming from a, a family of, of law enforcement professionals, Obviously, the recruiting struggle um, has been well publicized across the state, all agencies. Um, what is the pitch that you guys make to particularly young people um, about law enforcement being a, a career, a worthwhile career, and one that can, as you guys are perfect examples of, becomes a, a lifelong pursuit? Well, the pitch that I use is um, since I've taken office, we, we have now organized an active recruitment division. 
So I have recruitment deputies assigned to the road patrol. I have them assigned to the 911 center because I have a 911 center that I'm responsible for. And I also have a recruitment division for the corrections division. So, um, so some folks that were out there don't want to be a road deputy. They might want to go into corrections. And we have these deputies, men and women assigned, that, that, that go out and talk to these. We, we like to target high schools, colleges, mm -hmm. um, job fairs. Uh, a new initiative, uh, we have a good relationship with the Wilmots at the mall. We have three full-time deputies assigned there um, to be have a presence up there and uh, have a kiosk throughout the year and go out and engage with people to talk to them about the career. Uh, I think a couple of the challenges that we see is a uh, few people see law enforcement now, which it, rightfully so it is. It's, it's a very dangerous career. We know that. Um, unfortunately, there's not a day that goes by. There's not a, an officer killed somewhere within the United States. This week for us is, is uh, it's National Law Week coming up. On Wednesday, I recognize those deputies that work for me. Uh, we call it Law Day. And uh, I recognize those deputies that receive awards, uh, be it a life-saving award or a, a, something that they've impacted the community. What, we, what I like to do in my style is to go out and talk to these folks to encourage them to take a look at our, our office as a career. Yeah. Um, you know, there are benefits, as Mark indicated. There's 20 and 25-year retirements. Uh, our office at the Sheriff's Department, if you become a road deputy, we provide everything, uniforms, uh, other than your, your, your socks and your undies. We, uh, everything else is provided. We have a take-home car policy. So a, deputy, a road deputy that comes works for us will get a patrol car they take and are able to drive home. And the reason for that is our deputies are on call 24 hours a day. If today I have an event or a situation in, in the southwest part of the county and I have a few deputies that may are off today but may live in that area, I will call them up or our office and they are to respond. That's why we have a take-home policy. Um, and there's some other benefits, but the, 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 the real true benefit that I like to preach, and I'm sure Mark will tell you the same, is you leave an impact. You impact people's lives. Mm -hmm. um, even if you have to end up arresting somebody, my, my way of doing it is I don't just put the handcuffs on them, take them to jail, and walk away. I, I engage with them. You know, are, are they struggling with substance abuse? Are they having marital problems? Or if they're young adults, are they having problems uh, trying to deal with life? And you're able to help them through that. I was a school resource officer for many years. To this day, uh, kids come to me now that they have children, and they, they call me Officer Henderson at the school. Um, thank you so much for believing in me. You never not believed in me. So those are the things. You, 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 know, you, you go in it with the intention that you're going to help somebody. It's not just a paycheck. It's not just a job where you can get health insurance. Um, trust me, you earn all that. Yeah. It's a job that, uh, in the end, like our, our, our grandfather and our dad did with Mark and I and our mom did, you treat people with respect, and you believe in them, and uh, if, you, if you see hope, you try to get them through that. Mm -hmm. uh, if it's repeat offenders or somebody that just doesn't want to, to do that, well, at least you try. And that's my approach. So in the last nine years, um, there, there's been a change. Uh, I, during those nine years, I had an opportunity to be an adjunct instructor at Finger Lakes. Mm -hmm. My first class, uh, Introduction to Criminal Justice, there was 30 students. Uh, now, it was right at the time of uh, what occurred in Ferguson in the mm -hmm. summer. It was the, the uh, summer preceding my, my, my fall semester, and 
<clears throat> our class had a great discussion about what happened. <clears throat> and then there were some incidents, uh, an incident in South Carolina where an officer fired on an individual running away. And, you know, uh, people started to question law enforcement. They, they started to question, you know, what, what that all means, law enforcement. And uh, the following year, I didn't have 30 students in the head of class. It had significantly lower. And, and then, you know, there was the need for me to teach uh, wasn't there. So... So we, we looked at, you know, what, you know, why don't people want to be cops anymore? Is it what's happening, uh, you know, on the big screen, right? There's social media 24-7 now. Um, seems to be there was some uh, shift in focus in, in, in law enforcement. We were on the receiving end, and you know, we had to justify ourselves. And so I had the opportunity to attend a briefing at the White House on the 21st century policing and it talked about that was at the height, and President Obama uh, addressed our group. It was at the height of, uh, I guess you would call societal neg negativity towards law enforcement. And the focus was to, uh, okay, we need to do a better job of, of, of getting together. And this report was writ written, and, and one of the, the, the pillars of the report was building trust and legitimacy. And that's the approach that we're taking in, uh, in Monroe County. I know the uh, Kevin in, in Ontario County and the chiefs down here are embracing uh, community interaction. We're seeing some positive results. Okay, so we stop the momentum of negativity, and we are now working together to build relationships. And that relationship building is 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 leading to we're seeing an increase in the number of people taking the entry level exam in Monroe County. Uh, we're seeing an increase in, uh, you know, back in the 1980s, uh, um, I knew what my focus was. We're seeing younger people now thinking that, okay, this is a path, not only uh, uh, what Kevin talked about, what we can do. When you look at it in terms of career, you know, I, I can, I've, in, in, in Brighton, you know, we uh, have 40 sworn officers, five part-time officers, you know, we, we offer a very competitive compensation package. And, you know, when I'm talking to somebody that's just fresh out of college and has taken a civil service exam and thought that this would be the path that they wanted to go, I can sit there and show them contractually what their pay scales will be, where they'll meet certain markers. And, and you know, uh, Kevin said I'm not supposed to mention what we offer from a competitive standpoint, but it, but it, it, it gets people in the door. And... Mm -hmm. uh, uh, we just canvassed. Uh, I've got two uh, police officers in a, an academy that started a month ago. Uh, d the canvassing process was pretty interesting. I sit in, in the interviews. I'm sure Kevin does as well. We listen to the background of, of these people. Why do you want to be a cop? Yeah. And some will say it's a great job. In, in, you know, in the old days, you would dismiss that because you're not there for the benefits you're there right. for. So we, we, we talked to our candidates. And, and this time around, this cycle, we interviewed a number of candidates that, that had that deep desire for law enforcement. And then the secondary questions were about compensation. And it was, you know, my pleasure to offer. I offer the sheriff hires. Um, I, I go through a hiring process with the board, and uh, our board concurred. And uh, we, these officers will be out. It's a very lengthy process to become a, a police officer. We'll see them actually in, in the field sometime after Labor Day. Mm -hmm. And then uh, there's a field training period, and they'll, they'll be become police officers. But I think 
we are in a better place today than we were three, four years ago. Um, it doesn't mean we can stop. I know the city of Rochester and, and Chief Singletary, they're doing great efforts to, to build community, and it's through their community building efforts that we get, people are becoming more engaged with law enforcement. Law, law enforcement's be, be becoming more engaged with communities, and that's having a positive effect on recruitment. Mm -hmm. And then can, if I just jump in on what Mark said, and it, this is unique to us as sheriffs, um, both myself recently and uh, Sheriff Barry Virts, I could speak for Sheriff Virts in Wayne County, uh, the challenges that we have as sheriffs versus the, 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 law or the police departments in these towns is there, there's a difference in the pay and some other benefits, and uh, we advocate all the time. Mark's right, I'm elected, I run my office, but I have to work within my parameters with the board because they control the finances of my office. And we're, we are trying to uh, take a look at how we as sheriffs can do better and how can the county help us as sheriffs because it is challenging to uh, that I, I hire, we hire the deputies, give them the training, and then other towns, uh, not just Brighton, but others, yeah. uh, seek these deputies because our deputies are highly trained. We go through a very strict vetting process and they're, they're sought after. And I, I never will put anybody uh, down or uh, try to prevent them from bettering themselves uh, for their future. Uh, so what we're trying to engage in, the sheriffs, as uh, myself and Sheriff Virts uh, primarily, is to let the community know uh, in order for us to retain our officers, we might have to look at pay scales. Mm -hmm. And again, Mark said that, you know, his roughly a 44 uh, uh, personnel in his, I have over 300. Well, that uses a bigger impact because of salaries for 300 versus roughly 44. My role patrol side, I have about 103. Uh, and then I have about 30 part-timers as well. So that's one of the challenges. We were talking about it on the way over, you know. But again, I will never, if a deputy comes to me today and says, Sheriff, I'm going to look to go to Brighton, it's their decision. Uh, but as a standpoint as a sheriff, now I need to say to my board, uh, we're going to continue to lose these qualified, highly qualified deputies until we make a, a change uh, in, in, within some structure of the finance are you guys, what is the thing, and this is going to be my last question for you guys, when you look at your day-to-day -day jobs and, and you look at the, the, the business as a whole, the industry as a whole, um, when you look at policing, what is something that makes you feel optimistic about the direction things are heading, whether that's on the recruiting side or whether that's on the actual law enforcement side? What, what is something that you kind of think of, go, okay, we're, we're going the right way? Right, go ahead. And then right. So... so a good day is we you see we have our cell phones, mm -hmm. and you know we're we're married to them twenty four seven. Not only do we get the calls, we get the emails. A good day is an email from a member of the community that has had a positive interaction, mm -hmm. okay? and and it shows that we are we as an agency are doing our job and uh, we are having a positive impact. And that person thought enough so much so that they link uh, clicked on a link and got a direct email to me. And the same thing with complaints. And the same, you know, relative to uh, um, whether it's a neighborhood complaint with traffic, whether it was a, a negative interaction with a staff member, uh, the, the way that I do business is I'll interact back and say, okay, we'll look into it and we'll be back in touch. And we have that communication. So I do see, uh, you know, uh, uh, momentum where, where there is positive interaction and, and the negativity is, it'll never always go away. Mm -hmm. 
uh, but but it is leveling off, and, and, and uh, there is strong respect, uh, not only with the community, with our staff relative to the community, and, and that aspect of the job is good. There's always going to be change. You know, I'm at the end of my career. I was going to leave a couple of years ago, made, put the papers in, made a phone call to my brother, and he shared with me one of his <laughs> regrets was initially retiring. He's back in the game. <laughs> and so I, I stayed on, and, you know, I thought maybe when I do retire – um, I'll watch, you know, and I'll watch back. There'll be the issues of the day, whether it's legalization or what, the reform we talked about. But the end result, these are good people going out and doing a service and, and, and providing, uh, you know, I used to hear, well, you're the first line of defense between the criminals and criminality and whatever. We're also the, you know, uh, the officer that waved to somebody, the, the officer, we, we had a, 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 an incident last week where there was a medical emergency, and if the officers had not been there, it would have been a fatality. It didn't end up that way, and, and that's, that's the good at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, and, I, and I agree with Mark. I, I think it's important as, as leaders, as a chief or as the sheriff, um, if somebody contacts me, and they, they do, they have access to my email, and even the media. When I first was elected, I gave the media. They all have my cell number. Um, they call me on weekends. That's okay because they're doing their job, and if I can help them do their job, that's why I'm here. Um, but again, be responsive. Being attached to the community. Uh, if I get a complaint from a, from somebody that lives within the county and they're complaining about excessive speed on the road, um, before they would just call the office, the 911 call taker would take it and then send an email out to the staff. Now my requirement is if somebody calls, we take their information. We actually have a deputy go right to the door, introduce themselves, tell them when and how we can do it. We do a traffic survey. At the end of that, we go back to the door. We give them a copy of that survey. So it's connected to the community. Um, and again, as Mark said, as we progress, and you know, he'll be retiring eventually. I, I you know, I, I, I. I new to being the sheriff so I'm, I'm loving my job every day there are challenges um, but if I can make positive change while I'm the sheriff that's that I'll be happy with that and trust us when we are done in our careers uh, mom and dad and our whole family are looking down on us and saying you you you, you we're both proud of you because you've both done a good job and and we're so engaged to our community uh, I, I love Ontario County uh, I, again I love being sheriff and uh, I'll, I'll give it my all every day, and um, I think that's the direction and uh, what I'd like to do. All right, well, I appreciate the time, guys. Obviously, great conversation, uh, really interesting stuff, and best of luck continuing to, to lead uh, the Brighton Police Department and, of course, the Ontario County Sheriff's Office. Thanks, Thanks, Thanks Josh. Josh. Appreciate it. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your week. If you enjoy it, consider becoming a Patreon supporter. Membership begins at $5 per month and ensures that local journalism can grow. Don't worry, you'll never see a paywall on FingerLakesOne.com. There won't be any of those intrusive pop-up ads either. Just news, sports, and weather delivered 24-7 to your smartphone, tablet, and desktop computer. Learn more by visiting Patreon.com.